0: This is Ewan Williams, Director of Careers and Employability, and you are listening to the Academy's Developing Practice Podcast.
1: So oh, in this episode, we chat with Ewan about his new role as the Head of Careers and Employability at the University of Liverpool, and the vision he has to develop the service over the coming years. We hope you enjoy. Ewan, we're really pleased to be speaking with you today about your new role as Head of Careers and Employability at the University of Liverpool. And I would like to talk to you about the vision that you're going to be developing for the service over the coming years. But before we get started and we do this with all of our guests, um, we'd love to hear a little bit about you and your background and, and how you arrived at the position that you're in today.
0: Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Um, thanks for inviting me on. Hello, Alex, as well. It's been it's a real pleasure to talk to you at such well, it's an early stage in my journey, really, as Director of Careers and Employability. Um, I suppose my, my history, I've, I've been working in employability in this kind of area for the last 20 years. That makes me sound very old, doesn't it? Um, but I, I suppose my story started. I grew up in a little town in Herefordshire. I came to Liverpool University um, basically because I love John Barnes. I love football. I'm one of those classic stories of I made my, my key life decisions on something as frivolous as the football team I supported and my favourite player. Which i think probably a lot of people still make career decisions on things like that as well so it's it's not too bad but um i came to liverpool graduated from psychology in 2003 um, and has stayed in liverpool since and other than a couple of years where well, i worked in a tannery in garston um baking leather which was my first job outside of union i then moved and worked for the local authority um kind of careers provider which was called connections now called career connect still exists in uh, in, in a different guise Um, and within there, I spent 10 years working across a number of roles From as a contact worker, I would be out doing a lot of community outreach in lots of different parts of the inner city of Liverpool, moved into careers, advice in a traditional careers advisor, sitting in a school in a little box room somewhere, uh, telling, you know, speaking to students and asking them what they want to do and helping them sort of college applications and things like that. And then about six or seven years ago, I got a job at Hope University as a careers advisor there. Um, And after only 12 months there, I moved to Liverpool as a careers advisor. And in the last six years, I've moved from a careers advisor to sort of becoming a a team manager, I suppose, uh, overseeing part of our uh, embedded employability, our drive to try and increase and, and introduce that approach. And then obviously six months ago, I've had the chance to pick up the role of director. So it's been a bit in and around the sector for a long time, but there's lots of different steps, lots of different... Things have happened. Each role is different, bringing a different set of demands, and it's been exciting and it's been really interesting.
1: No, it sounds it. It sounds you've had a, a really interesting journey. I remember connections quite well. I remember the for some, for some reason, one of those things where the branding sort of stuck with me. I remember it really well. It was around the city that I I grew up in as well. And then that seemed to I, did it lose funding? It seemed to die away, and it was, I think. Um, for a city where at which I live in, I think it was actually a real big problem for the for the youth of this area to have that service just be. It wasn't mothballed, but it was shrunk. I think probably due to austerity. Is that is that one of the things you saw in your time there?
0: It is. I mean, you're right. The branding they got it so spot on. It was purple and orange.
1: Yeah, that was it. The connections with
0: the lines going across it. I think everybody recognised because it. it was a shopfront in in a lot of big towns and cities. It was a shopfront that designed to sort of walk in and uh, access support for a whole range of issues from that careers guidance, career support, but also we used to work with people around issues such as homelessness and um, substance misuse, um, all of the issues that young people face, we were kind of a, a multi-agency referral provider. And it was a really solid grounding for someone like me to work, to get to know the city, to understand the kind of challenges that the city face, that young people within the city face you know, it was challenging at times, and you did come across some really quite disturbing stories and and things were upsetting, but you were also able to make a difference. And it was a massive shame, uh, obviously part of the austerity political agenda going down that particular route of Hoffman-Hapsk, but funding for those kind of services was withdrawn at quite a rapid rate. And as a result, those those services kind of disappeared, and it would be lovely at some point if they were to come back, because I do think they make an absolutely huge difference for people in need, young people in a position of need to Say, I can just walk in and get the support, or at least speak to someone who can help me, help refer me on to someone who can support me as well. So, I'd like to see them come back at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah, so would I. They've they definitely made a big difference, particularly in those, you know, those cities, those poorer areas, areas of that we've got in the country across like the Northwest and West Midlands. I think it made a big, big difference for those people.
0: Yeah, it, it, it did. And, you know, there are, I think there are still support services out there uh, available, but yeah, it'd be great to see something come back
1: yeah
2: brilliant and it's it's obvious to see how you've built on that career to the stage that you're at today and as as we said earlier just before Christmas you took up your new role as Director of Careers and Employability at the University of Liverpool and we really like to talk to people when they're starting off on a new kind of leadership um, role to talk to them about their kind of plans and um, maybe their philosophy so let's start with your kind of philosophy for leadership what kind of leader are you and what kind of style do you think you'll lead with
0: yeah um i always think um probably asking the team what they think of me would almost be quite an interesting kind of 360 on this conversation as well um i suppose and uh, the other thing i'd say before for before is qualifying this week i always think with when you talk about careers it's often a safe space for really big cliches to come out i think like you, you know there are places where you, you end up talking in cliches a lot i think careers often brings that out you know journeys and, career ladders and all the rest of it. And I'm going to kick off with one straight away, which does sound like the biggest cliche I've ever said, but I think as a leader, I think it's really important to sort of be really authentic and genuine and try to be yourself as much as you can. Um, one of the things that I spent a lot of time working, thinking, well, I'll never be a leader because I don't have, say, some of the qualities that other people in leadership, I would see, oh, look, they're brilliant at a number of different things. Maybe they were really on top of it data and details and very, very organized and things like that. And I never kind of identified to being that kind of person. I thought well, I bring, maybe I bring other things, but because I don't have those kind of qualities, maybe leadership is something, like to, management is something I'd like to get into. But over the last five years and through the faith that's been placed in me, particularly by my predecessor, Emma Moore as well, I, sort of worth mentioning. I know she's been on one of these podcasts in the past as well. The faith that she put in me to say, actually, I don't need you to be that. What I want you to is to bring what you already bring but I'd like you to bring that into a leadership area I think was really important that was something that was really important for me to learn that and to then develop the confidence from that so I think as a leader whatever your strengths whatever your kind of your foibles and your flaws potentially I think it's really important that you go into a leadership position trying to be something else than what you are it's a really really difficult uh, uh, character to maintain so you've got to keep hold of some of that authenticity and everything you do as a leader. And what you've got then hope is that the strengths or the qualities you've got, you're able to bring them back in a positive way for the team. Um I suppose the things that are important to me about being a leader, and again I hope I, I hope the team would agree that I bring some of these with me. But some of the really important qualities I suppose I, I try to focus every morning I wake up and think this is what I need to bring is number one is to be friendly and approachable. I know that's again get- a bit cliche, but it's really important that I'm not and that the team feel like they can approach me for anything and that I will be proactive with that as well. I'll go out and speak to the team as much as I can. So they know that I'm around, they feel comfortable talking. I think that's really important. Um, another side of it is I think to maintain that enthusiasm and that energy for the job and the sector that you work in, I think you want to kind of demonstrate that and you want to bring that with you. It's As a leader, it, there's a sense that you don't bring that, but it makes it easy for others to then maybe not bring that either. If they're not it you use that proactivity, that enthusiasm is really, really important. Um, I try to be, I don't know if front footed is the right word, and I don't always get this right, to be honest, but I try to be as strategic in my thinking as I can be. So I try to think about where do we need to go? Where are the gaps going to emerge? Where do the gaps currently exist? Where do I think that they might begin to emerge in the, in the future? And how can I position the team and the way we construct our offer to be able to adopt, uh, adapt and those gaps later on again i don't always get that right you know there's times where i thought that something's going to happen and it hasn't or something has happened and it's been a bit unexpected so you don't always get that right but i think as a leader you will need to probably be probably a year two three four five years into the future to try and see where you think things might go um and i suppose the last thing which is really important to me is about communication about being a good communicator and being comfortable talking to your team, to your close colleagues, to people external to the team, within the university or external to that, Um, that's really important for one reason, uh, well, a number of reasons, but the first one is uh, to be able to articulate what you want from the team to do. I I kind of have this idea, you need to show clearly what good looks like, and good can be lots of different things. And there might be more than one way to, to, to achieve something, and there might be lots of versions of but whatever my version of good, or whatever my version of how I'd like the team to grow and deliver the services, that needs to be really clear in how the team understand what I want because it helps them build to those conversations that they have in their work. But for example, something that's important to me is around the development of experiences and giving opportunities for experience for our students. So the team know that, and so whether having community. Uh, conversations with colleagues across the university they know that anything that's going to provide that's probably going to land well with me yeah. and land well with how we're going to construct the offer. so that communication piece is important and of course the other thing one is being the voice piece of the team is something that i want to do i want to talk positively about the work they do they're a brilliant high performing team I'm very lucky to have them and being able to walk around and show off about how great they are is a really nice part of the job but again really really critically important that i continue to do.
2: Fantastic. So just drawing out from what you've said there, you want to be an authentic leader, you want to be approachable, you want to be strategic, you want to be um, a really good communicator. I mean, we talked before we started recording about how busy life is and how, you know, we've all got really, really busy weeks. Is there anything that you do to kind of recalibrate in terms of those key strands that you want to ensure that your leadership is built on? Because I think often we start off with really good intentions, don't we? And then just with the busyness, we kind of get swayed, don't we, in terms of how we do things. Is there anything that you have built in where you just recalibrate and reset and go, no, these are my key values and this is how I want to lead? Or is it too early for you seeing you've just taken up your role?
0: Yeah, I still feel like in some ways I'm still figuring that out. I suppose one of the things is I try to have, sounds. I try to have, a number of outlets for, you know, for myself, really. So I play I play football. with Part of the, uh, the university, uh, working at the university, one of the great things is there's a really active football kind of scene. And so there's games every day almost. I don't get to play every day, of course. But I try to, at least once a week, I'm getting football, which, number one, the exercise and all that kind of stuff kind of stuff's great. But football, also, it also takes me out of the team. I'm not, you know, I'm able to just, be relaxed and, and, and be with other people from the university. You know, it's a great networking tool as well, actually. <laughs> I meet at a, you know, I've got to know people as well. So that's been a really nice thing for a personal level to do. The other thing I try to do from a work perspective is I'm, I'm quite relationships focused. I don't know if this is a good thing or make my life more difficult at times, but I'm really focused on having positive relationships. So the use of one-to-ones and the use of allocating time and marking out time particularly for my management team, particularly for people that I'm working with more closely and other people in the team, as and when needed, I try my best to always have that time and put it into the calendar and say, we're going to talk. Sometimes I end up moving, meetings, which isn't ideal, but I really want people to know that if I send in a meet and we're going to talk about something, something goes into the diary to say, yeah, we're going to talk about it here. And I try to be really precious with preserving that time. How I trooped with that as things probably get busier and things change and I learn and adapt and change within the role as well. I hope to be able to preserve that because I feel it's important. I feel like not doing that is a step away from becoming a bit distant from the team. And I don't I don't want to do that. I want to try and retain that closeness and understand what they're all doing. And hope that they feel that too.
1: Just coming back to your point around authenticity. I'm not sure, it, I mean, I'm not sure if it is a cliche, a lot of people want authentic authenticity from their leaders, um, from the people I speak with. And I'm just going to throw you back to a a football, maybe oh, I only use the cliches now. So if I talk, if I think about football, you mentioned John Barnes earlier. He was a great leader on the pitch. But from my memory of John Barnes, as he became that leader on the pitch and he started getting into the later years of his career, maybe that creativity that we saw in the early John Barnes wasn't, you know, wasn't there as much. Do you think there's a comparability between being a leader and being one of the team, like in a in a university or even in a business sense? Do you think you have to drop something to be that authentic leader?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think it's I suppose you want that to be part of an evolution. You know, uh, in terms of again, it's that bringing that kind of authenticity throughout my entire career—the bits that got me to where I'm at now—it would be crazy to almost I suppose to throw away some of those elements because that's partly why I enjoy the job, you know, it's what I try and bring in. Um and so I wouldn't want to move too far away from that. But at the same time my responsibilities are different now. It's not on me. And again, I think this is part of that leadership conversation is it's not on me to have all the answers a lot of the time. I might need to make a decision on it. I should be making decisions on things. But actually it's okay for me to say here's a problem, I think this is kind of, or not a problem, a challenge. That's another way of framing it. Here's a challenge I think we face. Two years ago, I'd be thinking, right, how can I solve this? And then coming, coming back to people to talk about what my ideas are. Instead, now what I need to do is be able to talk to others and empower others to come up with those solutions themselves. And I'm really blessed with the team that we've got in careers, which is a naturally innovative, high energy, proactive team. That they're often there already and actually i've sometimes got too many solutions because everyone's kind of got a different approach to things so i suppose that evolution for me needs to be less of i am solving the problems in every single level of detail to more i'm trying to facilitate others to have the confidence if they need it or or the backing if they need that or providing some of the direction around how you, you know there's often a, a seed of a really brilliant idea but might be context that someone's unaware of so you can then help provide that context and empower that person to bring that to you so it's always like does it make it sound like my job's easier now i don't have to do <laughs> much in that sense as i do because i've got such a fantastic team around me but the responsibility now sits on me around well ultimately it sits on my shoulders in terms yeah. of what we do and how we do it so hopefully that's an evolution but you're right it is a different role and i do need to change in some ways
1: yeah, and I think um, what you mentioned earlier about the being strategic in your thinking, I think that's you know that's part of that evolution. I guess the um, I'd like to ask you what what are your plans for the for the careers and employee services as you go forward. You know what what do you see happening maybe in the in the market, but you know what how are you going to respond to those things? But I guess what you're already hinting at is that your team probably already have the answers and it's your responsibility you feel to draw them out almost that sort of coaching culture style of of leading
0: yeah absolutely i I totally agree it's the one thing that i bring or have to bring now within my role is understanding which of the solutions are the right solutions and which of the ideas are the ones that we pursue because actually lots of ideas and, and everybody's got a different i suppose view of what a careers team could go off and do. There's no end. Careers employability is is everywhere and everything, in my opinion. You know, it's part of every conversation. We we are as a team, we are uniquely placed with so many fingers in so many different pies across the institution and our side. That there's no end of opportunity for us to get involved. It's that knowing when to step back, when to step forward, what to allocate resource in in terms of time and effort into developing, that's sometimes the trickiest bit. And I suppose that again is where I can try and still maintain a little element of creativity, I suppose, or innovation is, is trying to piece together all these different exciting pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and then bringing them together into something that's coherent, because it needs to be coherent for, for the team to understand. It needs to be coherent for our university colleagues to understand what we do, but it vitally needs to be. Important. It needs to be understood by our students in terms of what we do and how we do it. You know, there will be impressions of what careers team does. and Some of those will actually be correct, but I'd also quite like to challenge some of those as well. I'd like us to become something that has a wide, far-reaching impact across the entire student body. We're not just if you need your CV checked, which is a, another cliche around careers work, to be honest.
2: That's fantastic. It's so lovely to hear you speak so positively about your team. And I have to say, one of the Parts of my role is to lead um, some of the fellowships, the learning and teaching fellowships and awards across the university. And over the last four and a half years, as I've been at the university, huge amounts of the applications for those awards and fellowships are related to your team and the work that your team are doing either individually or with the academics across the institution, you know, really innovative um, pieces of work that are taking place. So it's so lovely to hear you speak so positively about them. I wanted to um, ask you a question around kind of where you see the kind of career service and graduate jobs going in the future. One of the roles that I hold outside of the university is um, as a school governor. And we've very much in the last couple of years, kind of post COVID, moved away from the idea of, right kids, are you gonna be a doctor or a lawyer? What are you gonna do? Um, to let's, I mean, and the head teacher has driven this. He's all about find what you're passionate about. And actually the job that you're going to do might not even exist now, you know, whilst you're at high school. So let's develop that sense of passion and excitement and really support you to explore that through our careers offer at high school level. So I just wondered in terms of, you know, we are hearing that COVID has, and will continue to reshape the job market in the future. So where do you see the future roles for our graduates and, and how is your department responding to that as well?
0: Yes, it's so interesting. The future of work has been, again, it's, again, almost an cliche. Really, we've been talking about it ever since I've been in the sector. It's always been jobs that don't exist, jobs that are uh, going to fail to exist, and, and all the rest of it. And it's true, you know, it's just like anything, it evolves and it changes as, as, as we all move forward as a society. Um, I think that there's a number of exciting opportunities available for our students. And I think that we shouldn't be scared of the changes. The introduction of AI, ChatGPT, and all of these kind of technological changes that are coming, homevid has kind of, in my opinion, accelerated perhaps a, a hybrid working model, where maybe we would have seen this kind of more flexible approach to, to 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 being tied to a desk, as it were. I think we would have moved towards that anyway, because I think the market would have demanded it in terms of retaining the top talent and other companies that led the way. Um, so, I think we've probably accelerated 10 years, two years, COVID as a result of that. Um, I think we might start to see things like the four-day week becoming more more used. I think that'd be interesting. But for me, it's almost the knock-on impact of those changes. So, the increased flexibility at four-day week, that gives us, in theory, more leisure time. So, we're not using you know the time on the commute. now now lesser. We now have more time to either dedicate to work or... ID, of course, dedicated to leisure time. So that's going to drive a whole new area of the economy where people have got maybe resource and time to be able to access different things. So there's all these sorts of changes that could come about. Um, it's, always, it's impossible to say where we're going to go. I was reading an article uh, the other day, which was uh, about innovation, the fear that can sometimes come with it. And it mentioned in the article about the invention of the wheel. Uh, being perceived at that time for that society to be quite a, a bit of a threat. You know, what if your job involved carrying things, and you were, you know, the wheel is now suddenly going to come along and make you don't need five people to carry this; we can just do it on a cart now we've got a wheel. Whereas actually, that was one that was one approach to the invention of the wheel. The other one was think of all the new industries that are spinning out as a result of the wheel. pottery turn and things like that. So for every innovation, yes, there might be some changes to the to the. So the labour market demands and some roles, some tasks within roles. It might not be an entire role. It might be the tasks within that role change. But we're an inventive, innovative species. And we will find new ways and new opportunities will emerge from this. So whilst I feel it's almost impossible to predict what things are going to look like, um, and of course that drive to those technical skills is going to be really important for our students to develop, something that will hold true, in my opinion, is that the skills around human interaction, around working together, dare I say soft skills, no one likes to phrase soft skills, workplace skills, transferable skills, whatever we want to call those kind of back-collection skills, are, in my opinion, the investment that we all need to make for the safeguarding of our future careers. Because if we're good at communicating complex things to people who don't understand that, that detail in the same way, if we are someone that can work collaboratively well with others, if we're someone that uh, has a natural or different approach to problem solving, but also the development of expertise and sort of research techniques and things like that. You know, there'll always be a need for people to be ahead of the game, and think what's next. There's no guarantee that AI will do that for us or anything like that. So those very personal qualities, uh, it is a cliche to talk about them, but I think that they're the investment that we can make for our own future. Anything we do with our students right now, that encourages that and enables that process to happen is something that's good, and what we need to do, I think, collectively, particularly in the career team, but collectively as well, is help our students understand that. That this isn't just, you know, that there are some skills that are seen as quite sort of transactional, I learn it, I'm good at it, I'll put on my seat, that's brilliant. There are other things that you pick up along the way and you're not really aware that you are picking them up, you know, a group task in in a module or something like that. We really need to emphasize that that is a skill, that is an experience, that is more than just getting through that particular module and getting to the end of the module it's actually something that's really important and if you speak to any employers they all say the same thing this is what they recruit you know one of the things around you know graduate schemes and things like that is the non-linear routes the uh the kind of careers that are not connected to where, where you you know your own subject are. a lot of the big graduate recruiters don't ask for a specific degree discipline because they don't really mind they just want the right person to come in fill that role so it all points back to this idea of if you're personable, if you have the right set of skills and you focus on developing those skills and the chance you have while you're at university, for example, these are the things that will stand you in good stead for the future, whatever it holds.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful answer. I am, and I have to, you know, I have to say, I, I agree with, with everything you've said, there's that quote, isn't there about, and I can't remember who you said this, but it was about, we can recruit for the culture that we need. We can give them the skills later. And I think. I think that's still very much the case, isn't it, in, in industry and business without without a shadow of a doubt. Alex mentioned earlier, uh, she hinted earlier about some of the work that your team have been doing with academics in terms of that that, that agenda around uh, sort of being, I don't know, career ready? Is that, a, is that the right approach, or the right term? I don't know. Um, and obviously the employability agenda is embedded within our own university's curriculum framework. We've we've had a couple of people from your team on the podcast before, giving us some wonderful examples. But do you have any any more examples of how your team have been collaborating with the academics to ensure that students are prepared for the world of work?
0: Yeah, there's there's so many, and I tell you, this is actually a challenge within my role now. Is so in my previous role, I was very involved in the delivery of the embedded work, and it was it was always quite difficult, even in that role, where I was kind of trying to you know, build a relationship to help that happen. Whereas now I'm, I think one of the challenges of being a director is I'm now even further removed from some of that and you know, this pretty work's happening, but it's sometimes to keep on top of it because there's so much of it and it's all happening across the, across the piece. So this is, uh, you know, a note to self really around keeping on top of things like that, because this is the stuff that matters. Um, the examples that come off the top of my head first, I was, uh, um, I was invited by, uh, Gemma Ahern in sociology to an alternative dissertation. Uh, module Soki 347, I think is the module code for this. So she created an alternative kind of, um, dissertation module where you didn't have to write a long dissertation. You could actually produce like a, a digital submission instead. We collaborated with Gemma on that module. And I went to the first couple of hours of the presentations and it was, I can only describe it as wonderful. It was brilliant. You know, I was really sad to have to go to another meeting after a couple of hours because the students were producing either podcasts. Uh, recorded conversations about topics around sustainability and all these different areas. There were videos. then were just live presentations. They got to choose how they wanted to present a research topic and all of the, uh, 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 the factors that they wanted to include in it. Now, it was just one from an academic perspective, for me, it felt robust. Now, I'm not an academic, so I'm not qualified to, to to say that, I know. But to me, it felt like a really engaging way to bring about some research topics you know, and allow and it it kind of replicates perhaps a workplace environment. you don't write an essay very much in many jobs, do you but you might be asked to have a conversation like this one now, for example, talking about your ideas and what your thoughts and views are on things. so for me, that's a really authentic assessment. It's a different way of uh, asking students to present knowledge and an understanding and I thought that was wonderful. so that was brilliant we uh, another example um, this one leads to us at Bilkinton last year, not this year, but last year I think it in environmental science, um, uh ENVS 111 I think it's module code, Dom from our team, Esther Rick Williams as well. And it is around uh, the SDGs, the UN sustainability goals, uh, just uh, development goals. And the students had to produce work collaboratively as a group of four or five. And then they produce a digital story around whatever the the, digital, uh, the sustainability goal question was. And again, it was a similar concept in that if you think it was a first year module. So it was, Enabling students to talk, to share, to get to know each other in the first year. So, I think it's important to note that careers and employability is not just about making our students' careers ready. I think that's a good phrase, Matt. By the way, saying careers ready. I think that's certainly one way to look at this. But I think that we contribute to the wider student experience. What we do is not just let's get your CV ready. What we want to do is create active, uh, experiential. Um, opportunities for our students, so making friends is an important employability skill, you know it doesn't seem like it at the time, but it really is so that experience of working together in your fellowship and uh, curate a digital kind of submission was was really really great. so it was a similar example but but different in a number of ways too um I suppose other examples would be uh, in h l s uh life two two three I'm good at remembering the module so far, so this is this is good um the uh taking what was an extracurricular careers activity a life sciences employability week and connecting it into the curriculum so one of the challenges we face i suppose is that we can set up an unlimited number of extracurricular activities for our students but what the challenge with that is we'll never engage with all of the students because not all of the students will be able to a whole host of reasons maybe they miss it maybe it's a lack of confidence maybe it's an accessibility issue maybe it's uh carrying responsibilities at home, maybe need financial it's all of these years, the a curriculum is brilliant, but it'll never get to the kind of coverage that we needed to or wanted to to have the impact we want. So what we did, the Royal, the team, uh, not me, but the team did was they took this employability week that was happening anyway, with strong engagement, but they took the employees that were working within the and developed an assessment into the curriculum. That was all around commercial development of commercial awareness and the assessment was conducted through a video interviewing process. So you've got employers from an extracurricular experience into the curriculum, you're asking them to develop commercial awareness, which is obviously a really important skill, and then you're giving them practice of video interview techniques. So I mean, there are three kind of examples, and there are, there are more, but particularly focused around enterprise education, which is a really big target force at the minute uh, in one of our big computer science modules, 107. We've managed to bring in again the one we have uh, brought in sort of a commercialization of uh, technological ideas. So students are asked to think about maybe an app or uh, a project that they'd like to do, and they start that process of how I commercialise this? So bringing skills like this into the curriculum, in collaboration with our academic colleagues who are all brilliant and wonderful, and we love working with them, is some of the examples of how we're not just helping with CVs. That's important too, but we're more than that. We're very much embedded into that teaching and learning experience. And to gain the recognition, Alex, as you mentioned, about fellowship around Alistair Pilkington Awards, around faculty awards, that's probably one of the proudest things that I can say that could say occurred over the last few years is to get that recognition in that space. Um, and I'm I'm really proud of the work we're doing. And there's more to come.
2: Yeah, fantastic. And we've heard about a lot of those projects um that you've just spoken about on the podcast already. So we'll put the links to those podcasts in the show notes. Um, particularly that one around life sciences. I know they've been on and Don's been on as well. Quite a lot of your colleagues have, so we will link to those. So is there anything um, on the horizon in terms of kind of new projects that you're looking to develop?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I suppose one of the the nice things about being an director is you come in and you kind of feel that you've got the scope to explore different ideas and and build on what was there. Again, I I say I'm incredibly fortunate to be taking over an incredibly strong team with a very strong, a uh, journey mapped out as well, and a uh, history of the performance. So it's been wonderful to take over in such a, own such a strong place. So I suppose my thoughts for the future, just bullet point thoughts, really. Um, I probably can't answer some of these in much more detail because they're very much in my head at the moment. But uh, the first one I suppose is to build on the, what I would say is our central or our core offer around the career studio, which is that obviously that open, accessible drop-in space for our students looking at that and thinking how do we build that to be to be ready for whatever the future throws at us it's a really effective space it works really well the career coaches are probably the shining lights really in terms of what we do They're, they're they're brilliant um we're just at the minute recruiting a new set as well so that's really always an exciting time for the team but again we need to think about ask the question what if there are things we can bring in how can we work with that space how can we utilize the space in other ways um the creation and the refinement of our extracurricular events, where, when, how, they can be very resource intensive to deliver. Um, you know, obviously we need to think about resource, or I need to think about resource in terms of the team's time and, and ability to deliver things. And the embedded employability, which is a big driver, which probably, I would say, around 50, 60% of our undergraduate students at the minute see or come into contact with an embedded module. That's a bit of an off-the-cuff statistic uh but i'd like to build that and grow that and develop a kind of consultancy model that enables us to continue to get this get get these activities out there across the union um in terms of new things i would like to develop a uh, a series of i guess more specific high intensity high resource support for particular student cohorts um we're aware that for example at the minute the uh, international recruitment is really strong it's a really exciting time for the university but of course that leads questions in my head is how do we support our international students to uh, access and benefit from the careers support that they get within the university so what if they want to stay within the uk after they finish accessing the graduate visa how open are employers to that conversation all of that kind of that topic's an interesting one but also developing some of the uh, knowledge and understanding of where um international jobs markets as well i think we can do that more so there will be interesting to develop something around that space I'd love to really focus on our underrepresented and unheard student groups as well. We know from the stats and the stats are one thing, and the data tells us this, that um, some of the students from particular demographics find it more challenging to access graduate jobs and others. That's just what the numbers say, they say it for us, they say it across the entire piece. So I'd really like to focus on that and bring about an offer that gives that extra support, that extra that extra little bit of help to, to student groups that may, may need it, of course, and, and understanding what the data tells us and understanding what that support could look like is a really exciting thing to look at. And I'd also be interested in undergrads, PGR, PGT world. I'd also like to look at uh, supporting our students from a commuter base as well. So those that are in the region and likely to stay in the region as well. Um, the other thing I suppose that's really important to me is I'd like us to really uh, develop uh, an expertise around opportunities for our students and just to look at this narrative around what do students do? What can they access while they're with us? You can look at almost, a, a, I guess, a continuum, if you like, from um, the degree of as one end where you're fully embedded three-year experience all the way down to maybe being a member of a society or something like that or, or you know, whatever that experience is. What I'd like to do is to look at all of those experiences, whatever they are, and look at maximizing them, helping our students understand that there's lots of different opportunities out there and regardless of their personal circumstances because again everybody's is different around the time uh that they've got to dedicate to this kind of activity to try and give all of our students that meaningful experience and if there's no opportunity outside the curriculum for understandable reasons for our students it makes that argument around embedded employability all the more all the more important i think because what we need to do there is bring the employers, bring that authenticity, bring those project briefs into the curriculum. So students that can't access or are unable to access things outside their studies still get the benefits of that. So something that has equity of opportunities for our students, something that frames that whole conversation, global opportunities, hackathons, enterprise challenges, all of these different pieces are important that our students access them and I want that to be a really open and honest conversation across the institution. And I suppose the last thing, just while I'm, while I'm flying away here, is I'd really like to develop our enterprise and entrepreneurship offer around spin out, potentially looking at commercialization of our students' ideas, looking at incubator and startup support, working with the Brecht Center, for example, the management school, working across that whole piece to uh, script out a journey. As a student, who might come into contact with an a bit of enterprise education in their curriculum to then thinking, oh, maybe I could do something in this area. Maybe I do have some ideas that could be interesting to explore. What's my next step? Well, it's to then access maybe some mentoring or coaching or, or you know, and have designated spaces maybe or, and resources for our students to access. And who you knows where that leads? It's brilliant. It's another fantastic opportunity for our students. And I would say that we are seeing the engagement to of that offer absolutely flying upwards at the moment. So this is clearly resonating well with our students They're very clearly a very enterprising bunch at the moment and um, so that, that's just a few things and um, um, i'll stop waffling on there
1: <laughs> well no, i know i bet it is really increasing them um, i think entrepreneurship is, is is something that's sort of taking over the country at the moment i think a lot of especially young people are really into that and talking about it so i'm not surprised and it's just wonderful to hear how how much is on your on your agenda how excited you are about it um, it's it's been a great um an hour with you and it's really good good to to talk to you on these on these things um this podcast is all about developing people so it's the developing practice podcast and we always like to finish the podcast in the same way where we have three or four take-home tips that the listeners can reflect on in terms of their own practice so if you could give the listeners out there just a few tips uh, for things that they can think about what would they be
0: yeah i mean really interesting question and one you know it's a really sort of personal question in in the sense that all of this is to me is is a bit of a journey and you know i'm still on that journey and i don't feel like i'm coming from a position of expertise around leadership and and all the rest of it at this point in my career i suppose all all i can say is the things that have helped me have the that authenticity genuineness being yourself conversation it's okay to bring all of the bits of you along with you as you move through different roles and uh, and you know, particularly into leadership. You don't have to be this perfectly created, flawless kind of human to be a leader. Actually, the things that that that, that, that are less than perfect sometimes the bits that really mark you out as an individual and, and other things that people can get behind as well. So for me that's like a huge that was a huge realisation for me about six, seven years ago, that I didn't have to be anything you know i could just be myself and that kind of opened that door to me um i would say that one of the things that i found early on second thing really in this role um was that there was a definite psychological weight of leadership that is not immediately apparent from the outside um i found in the first couple of weeks of the job i was like oh behind me what have, what have i done to myself you know because it felt like although you're maybe not was responsible for delivering the day-to-day activity of the team as much as you were before. You have this oversight now and this ultimate responsibility. The buck stops there, kind of feeling, and it's been ready for that. And uh, understanding that it, is that time going to wait on you? You know, it is going to be difficult. But what you need to do is A, be aware of it and be have your outlets to be able to cope. And 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 you know uh and. And work your way through it. And ways that have really helped me is one exercise. I mean, that's playing football and things like that's important to me. I know that's not something that everyone would 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 find as enjoyable as me, perhaps. But relationships, you know, having good relationships with the people around you in work and outside work is really important as well. And having that time just to have space and time away to sort of um, uh, just reflect, you know, and and just give yourself that time and space. So. That separation for that weight is important to be ready for maintaining that authenticity of yourself and and carrying every bit of you into the into the new role is really important. Um, and also, I think I mean, just finding the time to enjoy and celebrate the job and, and working with the people that you have that you have in your team. Obviously, I feel very lucky to have the team that I do. The management team I work really closely with, and, and the, the, the 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 team as a whole. It's nice just to go back and speak to everyone, find out what's going on and remember what it was that actually you enjoyed about the job, why you, you've ended up in this place because um, you've know you you've been through that delivery journey, you've kind of worked your way through things, so going back and listening to the people talking about what they're doing is actually a, a joy as well, so that's I don't know how you saw that, it's really, really mad to be honest, but that's something that's helped me um, and if there was any students listening just as the last student thing if, if, if any advice whatsoever, it would just be do stuff, I, I say this all the time do anything, get involved with stuff, whatever time or resource you have to dedicate to anything. Get out there and enjoy things and meet people and put yourself in different environments. Challenging is fine. Challenge that comfort zone. All of that stuff's really important. And not all of it has to have the, the obvious cost benefit impact straight away. Sometimes it's a year or two later you realize that what you did was actually really important and it's really helped you, you know, get to where you want to go. So that kind of do stuff or as much stuff as you can. Again, another bit of advice i do for anyone who's looking to sort of grow and develop within their career, students
1: and, and staff.
0: I suppose.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, you, and thanks for your time today.
0: Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Alex. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.
1: Well, it was great to catch up again with you and he spoke at length about ensuring that he brings his authentic self to his new leadership role, which I thought was really interesting. He felt that it was important to ensure that the traits that enabled him to become the director of the career service are the traits that he takes forward into his new role. And some of those traits that he mentioned were being friendly and approachable and having that sort of strategic vision.
2: Yeah, I really appreciated what Ewan said about that as well, he spoke about how his team have lots of ideas and potentially lots of solutions to the existing problems across the university. And I really like what he said that part of his role is to collate and understand these ideas, to make the links between them, and then help his team to implement the best ones. Well, there was lots in that podcast that you may well want to go away and think about. If you'd like to take your thinking further, we've added some further resources to the website on a specific podcast reading list that you can access at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. Also, we love to hear what you think about each episode. So please do tweet us at Academy, and you can also find us at eLearnerMatt.com or at alexandra underscore owen on twitter
1: and we're really grateful for those who have taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast providers app so if you haven't done so already please do take the time to review our show or even better simply share the episode with friends and colleagues on your social media bye for now